Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Today, I'm speaking with Sherry Dunn, who's currently the Executive Director for Dress for Success Oregon. Sherry started working in legal aid after graduation, then moved into nonprofit and foundation work. Then she took a hard left into TV journalism before coming back to the nonprofit world in her current role. We had some technical issues on this one, so Sherry's audio is a bit crackly, but I really hope that you won't let that get in the way of listening to this episode. Sherry is so impressive and has had an amazingly interesting career, and she has so many bits of wisdom for us, so I hope you enjoy. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your taking the time to to participate in this with me. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Um, so let's go ahead and just jump right in. Um, could you tell me a little bit about sort of what took you to law school in the first place? Yeah, that's a funny story. I mean, I, it's hard to know exactly. Um, my mom says that when I was a little kid, I told her I was going to be a lawyer. And uh, she does not know why I said that. And uh no one in my family was a lawyer. I didn't know any lawyers. I was really a little kid. So at that point, I hadn't had any interaction with lawyers. So I don't remember that. So I can't verify that story. <laughs> you know, that's what she says. Yeah, she's probably yeah. not lying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what she says. And then um, when I was in school, like, I don't know if it was high school or no, no. I went to court for something with my parents when I was little. And then when I was in school, I was part of Lawyers Explorers. It was like Explorers, like a division of scouts. So oh, okay. they had a Lawyers Explorers program where you can learn about law and things like that. And I love books. And maybe I like the smell of the books at law school. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, they do have a specific sort of smell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and then also I think I was – ultimately a person who wanted to find a way to have uh, agency over myself and to be able to have authority in the world really and to impact people and to change things and so I think that was part of it but when I got to the point of going to law school I decided initially I wanted to go into corporate law so my undergraduate degree is in the history of philosophy so because my undergraduate degree is in the history of philosophy, I didn't have many choices, either get a PhD <laughs> right. or go to law school. So, Right, right. <laughs> so, um, so in law school, did were you sort of on the corporate law mindset track the whole time you were there? No, actually, when I, well, when I first came into law school, I, I did. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to... Um, you know, I want to um, go to corporate law and make a lot of money and do like the TV law shows that were on back in the day when I was a kid. Right. And uh, I did a summer internship at a, at a large law firm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And 
during the, that was my first, you know, summer internship. And uh, one of the projects was to do a, a, a memo on how the county could reduce the retirement benefits for county employees. And my mother was a county employee. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really, something about that summer doing that internship where I was like, yeah, I don't think corporate law is for me. I don't, I don't this is who I am or what I'm going to do. And, um, and also culturally then too, there still weren't a lot of people of color. I'm African-American, a lot of people of color in law firms. It, it wasn't really a welcoming environment. It wasn't really a space to, to get in. And yeah. so with my second year of law school, I turned toward public interest law. And what, what side of public interest sort of, I mean, that sort of makes sense when you describe why you went to law school in the first place, sort of wanting to have an impact. Um, it, it sounds like public interest makes sense for where you would land. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up doing internships at school. I didn't work in the legal clinic, which is weird. Um, and I, I still, to this day, I'm not clear why I didn't work in the legal clinic. <laughs> I did do internships uh, the two summers at legal services in Chicago. So I worked with legal services entity, worked with clients that work. And, you know, ultimately, I think I found that very meaningful. Um, you know, the people who I worked with were people like me. They were working class people, low income people, people who needed assistance. And I really enjoyed that work in a lot of ways. And that put me on the course. So I ended up um, getting a job at Legal Services of Wisconsin when I graduated from law school and I did divorce and custody for victims of domestic violence. Okay. And how long did you do that for? Uh, just almost five years, a little under five years. Okay. That, that's a fairly long, long stint because that can be, um, you know, that's an emotional side of the law to practice, I would think. <laughs> it is. You know, I always tell people divorce law in general is like the flip side of criminal law. Like criminal law and divorce and custody are very related. There's a lot yeah. of serialness. You go to court a lot. Um, yeah. A lot of running and gunning. I mean, it's not the hallowed halls of, you know, slow research, you know, this right. people's problems and you got to get it together. But, um, but also I found the work hard, but meaningful for me in particular, you know, these women who are primarily women, although there was a man or two who did, um, they needed help. And I was glad that we were there to help them. And, you know, some of our clients didn't make of it, uh, make it. Some of them um, were killed. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was tough work, but, but ultimately <laughs> the crazy part is what ultimately made me done with the day-to-day -day practice was judges, not the clients, not the work, not the hard part, but the attitude of the judges toward my clients as poor women who needed assistance. You know, they were so disrespectful and so dismissive of my clients. And, you know, if you get to the point where you want to cuss out the judge, it's time to go. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, I can, I can imagine that makes it very hard to sort of go day to day with your practice if, if that's sort of where you are. So 
what when you sort of were finishing up there and you were realizing that this isn't the place you're going to stay forever what were your thoughts on your next steps like where do you go from from there you know for me i am very much a person who tries to feel the universe which sounds very woo woo but you know, I'm totally uh, with you. I'm totally with you. But you know, <laughs> we'll see what, what, whether the rest of the lawyer guests are with us, but I, right. I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. You know, the universe, I mean, if you're sensitive and paying attention, energy is moving around you and it's moving you. Right. And so uh, a couple things, strange things happen, but I, I think I went to a conference. I met some people in DC and, uh, there was a position that came up at the National Legal Aid and Defender Association in Washington, D.C. The National Legal Aid and Defender Association is like the bar association for legal services and public defender attorneys. So we're, we're a specialized membership organization. Um, they do training. They do federal funding work, um, everything for that membership. And so they were looking for an attorney who was a legal service attorney to work in the civil division. And I met... Um, them at a conference and it was just a confluence of events and um i got this job in dc and it was really incredible but it was still in my field but like it, i was going to step away from the day-to-day -day practice of law to look at the bigger picture how is law funded how do um legal services operations which are basically nonprofits, legal services are federally and and grant funded nonprofits. That's what they are. They're nonprofits that provide legal services. So how did they run better as nonprofits? How could uh, we get them more funding? And so I moved to DC and became the senior attorney in the civil division, dealing with all things on the civil side, just like I was a civil legal attorney membership. So yeah, it was opportunity and, and just feeling the time to move, you know? Yeah. Did you miss the actual practice of law? Because it sounds like you had sort of moved into more of the policy stuff within the same realm, but did you miss the, the practice itself? Um, not really. I mean, there, there were things about it, uh, you know, that I liked and there are things about it that I've kept. I mean, you know, law teaches you to question, 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 you know, be rigorous in your questioning, try to um, figure out the different elements and angles of something. And those practice pieces stay with me in everything I do and have really been fundamental in a lot of ways to me being able to change careers, the many careers I've had and <laughs> yeah. you know, do them effectively. And so, you know, going to court every day, yeah, you know, there's a little bit of adrenaline rush with that, you know, and it definitely hard when I first went to D.C. to go sit in an office and try to figure out what to do because... Right. My day had been, you know, clients, clients, case files, notes, uh, court. And then it was like, oh, what? Um, but, you know, then I found something to do there. So at that right. point, I developed another kind of rhythm that kept me busy. Yeah. So and then you were there for a couple of years? Yeah, I was there for just under three years. And as a result of that work, I came in contact with another person who was starting a foundation that was going to look at increasing legal capacity, so legal technical support for nonprofits by using nonprofit law firms. So uh, they're like Lawyers Alliance for New York and California State Bar Association, I think DC Bar, there are a couple of law firms that are nonprofit law firms that help nonprofits, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they specialize in nonprofit law and they are themselves nonprofits and they help nonprofits with capacity building. So capacity building for nonprofits was really big at that time. It was like the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, the goal was to say, well, if nonprofits didn't have to spend money on legal assistance, they could, you know, spend that on other things. And But they need legal help. You know, we need legal help. So anyway... Um, there was a foundation called Atlantic Philanthropies uh, that was founded by the founders of the Duty Free Shops. And they had a bigger foundation and they wanted to have impact in this area. So uh, a guy, uh, Alan Bromberger, who I met, I think, probably at another conference. And I... Uh, Seems like the answer is definitely go to conferences. This <laughs> is definitely a big part of it, right? You got to put yourself out there. Yeah. You got to show people what you can do and what you know. And um, so Alan was looking for somebody who had that connection to the day-to-day legal services work and the national. And that happened to be, I had done local and I had national connection. And so I became the vice president of a foundation called Power of Attorney. And I did that for about five years. And we had a grant portfolio of about $5 million. And we had grantees around the country and um, we were a spin down foundation, which, you know, some foundations try to keep their corpus and go and go. Ours was to spin down because our parent foundation, Atlantic, was also a spin down. The family believed in using up their philanthropy in their lifetime as opposed to perpetuating it. So in any event, um, that was a term limited project. So that was kind of nice. But it was about five years in New York City. I worked with Ford and Soros, and all of these funders. And. Really, at that point, then, I had um, a decade, uh, a little bit more than a decade of legal practice, legal policy, legal funding. So I actually had a very long legal-based career. It wasn't always practice. It was practice policy funding, right? I was known in that community and, and probably could have kept going in that community and probably could have either gone back to DC or worked at another foundation or something of that nature, but I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it makes sense when you hear that background to where you are now, but there's this big middle section that I'd love to chat with you about next. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, hard left. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I lived in New York during nine 11 and I lived through nine 11 in New York and um it's funny, you know, I didn't move right away or anything, but, you know, I think something changes in you when you witness things like that and you realize that life is so impermanent and to go through what, you know, in retrospect, now I recognize as a significant trauma, but at the time you just got right. through it. And I think 9-11 unmoored me, um, but it took a little while for it to fully break loose, but that was the beginning of a yeah. where I said, well, you know, life is short. What else have I always wanted to do? And one of my twin, I had twin passions. I think as a child, one was law and the other was journalism. I was obsessed mm-hmm. with journalism. I watched uh, nightline from the time it first started with Ted Koppel when I was a little yeah. kid. <laughs> get other little kids to watch nightline. <laughs> really weird. You know? They're like, uh, we want to watch, you know, <laughs> Smurfs or whatever. Nobody knew what I was talking about at all. I was like, wow, this is great. So I, I was like, yeah, I've always wanted to do this. How do I do this? And um, 
So at a certain point, I decided I was going to transition into journalism. I was like, at that time, Court TV was going. And, and the crazy part is I had an opportunity much earlier when I was practicing law in Milwaukee to go to Court TV. But at the time, I didn't really know what it was. It was very new. And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, and, you know, who knows, you know, life sliding, right. sliding doors would look like. But in any event, um, I decided to make this transition, but that's another kind of crazy story. So I, I realized that in order to make the transition to, to journalism was going to take money because, you know, I didn't go to, to school for journalism communications or anything like that. So I was going to have to freelance. I was going to have to do this. And so I thought about that and I actually started meditating on it, which is a really crazy story about how, how all this came together, but there's a couple of crazy parts of this story. Um, one is that uh, way back in the day before Bumble and, and Tinder, uh, on the Upper West Side of New York, this woman had a, a coffee house dating place. So mm-hmm. go to the coffee house, look through these books, uh, set up a date. They would set up the date so you didn't have to exchange numbers and you would meet at the coffee house. So I met her somehow and uh, she got a call from the Oprah show. They were interested in featuring her coffee house on like new dating trends. Yeah. She called me and asked me if I would come and do a, like a setup date for the show. And I'm like, of course it's fun. So I go do this thing and they film it. And later that night. So basically just a job with Oprah fell into your lap. (laughs) You must have been putting something pretty good into the universe for that to happen. Yeah. It didn't really, I mean, it was a one-off, but so so later that night, the producer who shot the, the, the piece called me and said, Hey, uh, we want to change the show. We want to feature you. We want you to be the subject of the show. And uh, I think it was the next day or the day after we want to fly you to Chicago. We want to set up other dates. We want you to come on the show and we want you to be interviewed by Oprah and Gail. I'm like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's what happened. I uh, tried out several dating sites, uh, went, was flown to Chicago, was, I can officially say I was a guest on the Oprah Winfrey show. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, was on a dating episode, talked to Oprah and Gail. It was really great. And uh, then I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to do television. And um, so when I went back to New York, I was like, okay, well, if I want to do this, I got to figure out how I'm going to fund this. And right. so was you know, funding your change is really important, right? So, yeah, I actually I have lined up to talk to someone about sort of exactly this topic, because I think it's a really important part of giving yourself the flexibility to make changes is to be right. mindful about how you're going to pay for them <laughs> and right. pay for a different lifestyle, potentially. And yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't like to gloss over that because I don't yeah. people gloss over things and they're like, well, I happen to have an inheritance or I had a million dollars equity in my house. Like, don't forget that part of the story, because really important part of the story you know and i don't encourage people to jump off a cliff to shark rocks that i've right <laughs> i've not done that you know i've made purposeful thoughtful steps but but then there's luck so the luck of this story is um i um meditated and i thought about things and i went on to be a millionaire the daytime edition 
Which oh, okay. I know it sounds crazy. Uh, oh, no, no, it doesn't. I have another friend from law school who was on it. Okay, great. Meredith Vera. Yeah. And uh, I won enough money to allow me not to work for two years. And Oh, my gosh. That is how I transitioned into television. I actually started freelancing in New York, uh, doing like celebrity stuff. I did some stuff about celebrity divorces. So see, it all comes back. Right. How did you get those first, you know, moving into that? So, you know, handling the financial stability part of it, taken care of, you know, you had never done this before. So how do, how do you put yourself out there to get even freelance jobs when you've never done it before? So there are a couple steps. One, at first I hired somebody to shoot some sample reels for me, just basically pretend reels of Mm -hmm. me going around reporting stories And at the same time I had been on the Oprah show, I got an agent out of that. This Ah. lady saw me on the Oprah show and, and actually contacted me. And so I got a, a a broadcasting agent out of that. So, um, so I got an agent out of that, but then I had to develop some sample reels. So I went around New York doing different things. And I think she was the one who got me like an audition for court TV and I remember uh, at that time, it was the early days of talking heads, you know, legal talking heads and wanted bodies, you know what I mean? Right. And then there was celebrity justice. Uh, that was a precursor to TMZ from Harvey Levin. And yeah. they just were really looking for people to come on TV and talk, uh, really. And yeah. she got me the, um, the kind of audition to talk about um, divorce and so they brought me in a couple times. I remember I did Ricky Lake, her first, very first divorce conversation. Oh, my goodness. And then that tape formed more tape for me. And then I decided, uh, and, you know, to be fair to my agent, she was probably right about this, but I decided <laughs> to go to California and freelance because California seemed like a great place where you could just kind of freelance. So I moved to Los Angeles and I did freelance. I, I did uh, celebrity justice. I did red carpet events, the first pirates of the Caribbean way, way. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did. Um, uh, I eventually I ended up hooking up with California public television and I already had these little pieces, you know, had been building these little pieces of tape, my, fake reporting reel, you know, that I paid for just showcasing me my TV work on um, court TV and celebrity justice. I had started to build this reel. And so California connected was looking for a freelance person to do um, a story about school reform in San Diego. And a woman I knew knew a guy who was a producer and he actually has since produced really big shows and whatnot. But anyway, so I reached out to him and told him my background and he's like, oh, you're a lawyer. You know, so this is where lawyer always comes in handy. Right. And it's like, yeah, you'd be a great person to do this. Right. So I ended up doing this long form piece for California Public Television on school reform, went down to San Diego, interviewed all the parties. It was really, really a nice piece. And that became like a signature piece for me. Yeah. Um, But, you know, freelance work is is catch as catch can. It's very, it's not, it's very sustaining. And so while I was in LA, I also worked at a television production company called Arden Entertainment, which I don't know if Dan is still doing production, but um, we were trying to develop reality TV programming. 
in the early yeah. so he, he yeah called doga dog yoga that was like, <laughs> uh, that was actually one of my funnest jobs uh, you know there was a television in my office and my job was to look at tv and come up with tv ideas i mean it was crazy yeah <laughs> and i came up with a lot of great tv ideas but it's hard to sell tv ideas so but yeah. I, while i was freelancing i also learned production you know the background side of of developing programming television and right. um Unfortunately, I think I took some bad advice at a certain point. You know, somebody told me, well, you know, you could go to network and stuff like that, but you should go to a local affiliates and get more experience and then, you know, try to come back up. And that was really advice because I really should have continued on the road I was, but I did get a job at a local market in Tyler, Texas as a main anchor, which is a big deal. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a small to me. I mean, it's size. Yeah, market. It's, it sort of seems like it's almost like the academic world where it's like, if you want to be an anchor, you go wherever the anchor job is, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's. <laughs> but there are ways to laterally move in, which I should have worked on better. Yeah. In any event. So I did go to Tyler, Texas and was hired as the main anchor, the five and six o'clock anchor, which is a marquee space, right? Yeah. And that was based on several years of freelance, my California Connected work, the whole pattern, you know. But Local news is not nightline. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Local news is not investigative reporting. Right. Local news is just, you know, trying to make do. It's fire, fire, murder, murder, you know, in a lot of ways. And I I can say that there were moments that I really loved it and I I couldn't believe it, you know, that I had made this ridiculous transition and my (laughs) you know, and I'm a local news anchor and I love news. I mean, I still love news. I love information. I love news. It wasn't about being on TV for me necessarily being seen. It was about learning and and growing and information. And for me also advocacy, which local news isn't really an advocacy spot. And I think think people think, but it's, it's not. Yeah. Well, I was going to say sort of, did you, did you look back and, and sort of miss anything about, your legal career, but it sounds like maybe that part of it was missing for you. Yeah, that part of it was missing and just the ability to really speak kind of a truth to power kind of situation was, mm-hmm. was really hard. You know what I mean? It felt really, right. uh, you sort of have to toe the party line a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, and, and, and just for everybody to know, local news has no conspiracy or agenda. I have to tell you. If there is definitely more of a conservative tilt to local news owners, people don't think that, but that's true. But mainly a lot of young people who don't know their subject matter and don't know what they're talking about, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that as somebody who came into news in the way I did, you should have to have worked in other jobs before you go into the news industry because you really should know more. And the news used to be set up where you would go deep on a topic, but nowadays they don't. So right, right. That's an aside. So was in Tyler for almost four years. That was actually three years too long. And (laughs) uh, then moved back to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I'm from, where Mm -hmm. I was a morning anchor and then a nine o'clock, 9 p.m. anchor and did that for almost five years. Yeah. a full decade in television news. And yeah. 
actually the crazy part is law took me back out of news, which is interesting. Crazy. So were you looking to get out of news? I think I was and didn't know it. You know, working yeah. is a grind. I mean, it's a yeah. 365 day, 24 hour a day job, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. It's, it's, it's not glamorous. It's, I tell people, people who dig a ditch get days off. People in the news don't. Right, like, right. <laughs> flooding, if it's flooding, if it's fire, if it's hot, if it's a tornado, we actually go. Other people are so right. it's, a, it's a hard job. And even being an anchor, you know, what you see on the air is just a small piece of the iceberg. But, right. but one thing I will say about this is that the transitions at each point really worked because I was willing to learn. I was willing to back up and step back and not be like, well, I'm the lawyer. I know this and that. I had to learn, right. had to learn how to edit. I had to learn how to TV write. I had to be willing to learn it. And the skills you learn as a lawyer, how to deconstruct, how to um, put things back together, how to analyze, those skills were most important in being able to adapt to each career. Yeah. I think that's such a good message is, you know, even if you're not practicing law, it doesn't mean you all of a sudden, like, you know, evaporate from your brain all the skills that you learned in that process. And they can be really useful, transferable skills. Oh, man, they're incredible transferable skills. And, um, and so just to wrap it up as quickly as I can for you, but yeah, uh, so be my, sure get to your current job. <laughs> yeah, so my um, law school professor, my, my public interest law school professor w- came to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because I was in, I did an interview of Perry Belafonte, which is a mm, highlight. Yeah. Life. And um, he was writing a paper on Martin Luther King's attorneys, and there was an event for Northwestern alum. And he asked me if I would edit it and help look at it. And I realized, wait a minute, I'm not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's a safe assessment. (laughs) Yeah, I had been in news, and I had been covering these, you know, fire murder specific. And I was like, oh, my mind wants this again. Wants this, yeah. Thing, wants this thing, so that started shifting me, and so then um, a couple of things happened, which are too long to get into. But my ex boyfriend is from Portland, and he moved here, and I was visiting, and I was getting tired of law, and I wanted something where I could put all of these skills now together in one cohesive way, and mm-hmm. I ended up getting a job here in Portland, Oregon, as the executive director of a nonprofit called Dress for Success. Yeah, of course. Four, four and a half years ago. And that job came about in another weird way. I had interviewed for a different job, did not get that job. The people who interviewed me, three separate people on the panel called me after I didn't get that job about other jobs. <laughs> well, you must have made a good impression at least. <laughs> I, I, I guess. And I was actually back home in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, had broken up with my boyfriend, didn't think I was going to move here. And then um, got an offer and I was like, hey, the universe is calling from Portland. Right. Right. So why does the universe keep calling me from Portland? Perhaps I should answer. And I try to do that in my life in general. And so I answered. And and in answering, I ended up in a a difficult job, uh, a rewarding job, a hard job, but a job that for sure I use every single skill I've gathered along the way. Law comes into uh, the equation almost daily. There's a conversation yeah. the other day about shredding something. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
We don't. Right. Who's who's shredding what? I was like, we don't talk about shredding to a lawyer, you know. And then, right. Uh, you know the and even, even if you don't know the answer, you're it's the issue spotting. You're like, I know that That's we need right. to think about this. <laughs> exactly right. I issue spot yeah. all day long. Uh, right. in everything I do, there's the funding. There's the media. There's the right. Product, there's the nonprofit. There's the the whole thing. And so. This job really uses all of my skills towards something that really matters to me, which, yeah. which is the empowerment of women. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you you know, I just want to congratulate you. I saw that you were named uh, one of the executives of the year by Portland Business Journal. So you're clearly not only loving it, but killing it. Yeah, you know, the crazy part is I, I got that and then I got a women of influence and then I was just at a power leadership and speaking and so my boat is turning again and it's turning towards something else, I think. And we'll see where that goes. But, you know, the third career I wanted in life, I have to say, was to be a professor, which is really great yeah. because I had an undergraduate degree in history philosophy. And now I'm an adjunct at the University of Portland and I teach nonprofits and social enterprise in addition to my work. And so I like yeah. to tell people that I've had a hat trick of a career. I got right. to do all three things that I wanted in life. And it has, yeah. hasn't been easy. I mean, there have been times where I was like, this is a terrible mistake or <laughs> this or what the heck or what the hell is going on here? I don't know. Right. I mean, there's a lot of bad and confusing moments, but ultimately I can definitely say that I went down every road I wanted to go down. And some of them I was like, I'm going back the other way I came. And right. then I kept going down, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like you sort of, you, you listened to your instincts, you put yourself out there in a position to create opportunities that interested you. Um, and I also think it's a, it's a good message that, you know, when you left the practice of law, you wouldn't necessarily have been able to write down your entire journey path on a piece of paper at that point, right? You don't always no. know all of your next steps. And it's, you may have seasons of your career. And that's, that's okay. That's good. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, you have to let go of ego to train, yes. to train in life. And I think that's the hard part. And lawyers get a bad rap about that. Uh, but the other thing is, the, the skills you have as an attorney are literally applicable everywhere. I mean, because really, ultimately, it's about critical thinking. It's, it's everything I've done, every job I've had has been rose or fall on my ability to think my way through the problem, right. issue, the difficulty. Right. And that is what you learn as a lawyer every day, all day. And that is the skill that's going to still be needed when the robots take over. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's going to be people, it's going to be people who program the robots, maintain the robots. And then you're going to have the people who think about what right. robots do and how does this, right. this, right. So that is this skill that is something you, you, you know, a lot of people actually don't learn in school. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think we all need to sort of take a step back and realize what we do bring to the table and what we can offer in different positions. Um, well, listen, I don't want to keep you too long. I'm mindful of the time, um, but maybe just one last, are there any sort of favorite books or 
you know, articles or websites or anything that you would, you know, sort of say to someone thinking about making a transition, you know, think you about know, this. Yeah, it's funny. I, I really can't say that. What I can say is get, set, get, get clear with you. Yeah. That's really weird. You have to be clear. There can be no space between you and you. Right. This yeah. is I say a lot in my talks, but you have to understand who you are for good and for bad. You have to understand your strength and capability. You have to trust yourself and you have to be close to yourself because that is going to be the key that will sustain you. And then you have to listen and you have to plan. You know, there is planning involved, there is listening, and there's taking reasonable risks. But the main thing that I can tell people is be okay with failing. Because you're going to fail spectacularly and it's, going yeah. and it's going to hurt and it's going to be scary and, and know that that's a moment in time. It's a transition point and it's not permanent. And I guess that are the things I would say. You know? Yeah. I think that's great advice. Cause I think it's probably the thing that most sort of, you know, type a high strung lawyers have a hard time maybe allowing themselves to consider failing. Um, but I totally agree. There's no success without failure. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, Sherry, thank you again so much. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure the listeners will as well. It's a fascinating story. Um, and yeah, thanks so much. Well, thanks for having me, Megan. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I took me so long to figure out how to get on, but <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> We're all in the early stages of learning how to do this. <laughs> all right. Thanks. I love Sherry's story. Her career and her approach to navigating it have so much to teach us. First, try to put yourself out there. Go to conferences, even if you're only marginally interested. It may lead to another legal job, a quasi-legal job, or something completely outside practice. You just never know what will happen or who you'll meet when you put yourself in a room with new people. Also, try to be genuinely open to new possibilities, even ones you couldn't fully articulate on your own. As Sherry said, get as clear with yourself as you can and then listen to the universe. Be open to these whispers of opportunity. Don't talk yourself out of things before you even try just because they don't make logical sense. Another point. Even if you're in a legal career for 10 plus years, it doesn't mean it's too late to make a larger jump. Do you have a twin career that was always in your head? Don't be afraid to consider it. Plus, even when you leave the practice and go into an entirely different area, your law degree will still help. For Sherry, it helped her with everything from getting legally focused freelance reporting work to running a nonprofit organization. Sherry also echoed an idea that a few other guests have mentioned, and that's chapters. Sherry has had many chapters in her career, and she's excelled at each, and they flowed fairly naturally. But that's because she's not fighting the change. She's open to it, and she's thought about the things that interest her, so she's receptive to opportunities. It doesn't mean it's painless or without failure, but you learn from those situations and move on. Don't let the fear of something going wrong keep you from trying at all. And finally, I guess uh, if you can, go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You never know. <laughs>